0: House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer are calling for President Trump to be removed from office. We know Speaker
1: Pelosi said she still hasn't had uh, a conversation with Vice President Pence on the 25th Amendment. Democrats say an aggressive impeachment timeline is six to seven days.
2: Hi, I'm Jim Saxa of CQ Roll Call, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It is Friday, January 8th. We have two great guests on today's show. Herb Jackson, CQ Roll Calls political editor, will help us make sense of this week's frankly insane events. And then we'll have our senior correspondent, Niels Lesniewski, talk about what to expect next. But first, the condemnation for Wednesday's insurrection at the Capitol has been swift and widespread. The rioters are now being identified and arrested. Democrats demanded that Trump's cabinet invoke the 25th Amendment to remove him. Some Republicans have echoed that call, including Representative Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. And articles of impeachment could be introduced on Monday. But Trump and the mob didn't act alone. They were aided and abetted by members of Congress. Eight senators and 121 representatives All Republicans objected to the Electoral College count Wednesday, even after witnessing firsthand what giving life to those lies could bring. So what consequences do they face? Realistically, very few. Missouri Representative Cori Bush says she'll draft a resolution to expel the objectors, but it'll never get the two-thirds majority support it needs to pass. So even if there is an expulsion vote, and that's a big if, it'll be seen as just another partisan stunt. The fact is, these objecting members knew what they were doing. Their fellow Republicans have said that none of them actually believed the election was stolen. But they repeated that lie to curry favor with Trump supporters who, by the way, make up a majority of the GOP voters. It was a simple political calculation. In voting to reject the will of voters in Arizona and Pennsylvania, they knew they'd get more votes from the party base than they'd lose. Opposing Trump, even in support of democracy, meant they'd face primary challengers. Now, Republican leaders could change the formula of this political cost-benefit analysis. They could, for example, strip the objectors of their committee assignments. That's a sanction in Washington that can have a big impact on voters back home. Just ask Steve King. But they won't do that. Democrats will also have to decide how to respond. Some Democrats say they can never work with Trump's enablers again. Not being able to brag about bipartisan bills is a small price to pay, politically speaking that is, but it's still more than we usually see. With 2020 finally coming to a close, we were all hoping for a bit of reprieve from the nonstop news mania, but so far 2021 shows no signs of letting up. To help us reflect on the month of news that was this week, we've got our politics editor here, Herb Jackson. Herb, thanks for joining us. How you doing, Jim? Doing all right. Um, so let's talk about Wednesday night. After the Capitol Police and the FBI were finally able to resecure the building, what did the Republicans
1: do next? Well, it depends on which Republicans, which end of the building you're talking about. In the uh, House, things went as they were probably going to go. The two-thirds of the House Republicans uh, did challenge uh, several states electors uh, they they successfully they had Senate sponsors for two of those challenges um, but they did not succeed in challenging two others um, and two-thirds of the Senate Republic of the House Republicans voted to not accept uh, electors from the states of Pennsylvania and Arizona on the Senate side we' going into the day, 13 Senate Republicans had said that they were going to challenge electors. In the end, only eight of them voted to challenge either or both states. Uh, and most notably, uh, for me at least, uh, one of the first to change her position was uh, Georgia Senator Kelly Leffler, who the night before had lost her seat in a runoff election. Uh, and She said, you know, this is not what we were looking for. Um, we have no way of knowing if she would have said that if she had won the seat, because that seat is up again in two years. Uh, but, you know, one of the more interesting things is, is you know, like you have Kevin McCarthy and you have Mitch McConnell who were describing this same thing in completely opposite ways. Like, mm-hmm. is, is it even the same Constitution? Uh, McConnell's speech before the, the riot was directed at the Republican side of the aisle. He's looking at his own members saying this is not something you can do it's yeah not our, you know and then you had people like Senator Mike Lee sit get up and say you know you know this isn't our job it's the, the the states pick the electors that's what the Constitution says you know um so that's what that's what happened immediately um you know the other thing that happened is you know some of the people who were pushing this the hardest uh, Josh Hawley the senator from Missouri uh, apparently lost his book deal. I didn't ind- independently report that, but I've read it several places. Um, and just today, uh, the senator from Louisiana, so, so South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, was hounded trying to get on a plane at National Airport. He was followed by people who I guess had been at, at in town for the rally. Um, And they saw him at the airport waiting for a flight and he was surrounded by police. They, they were YouTube living this harassment of a Senator.
2: Yeah. It's been kind of crazy to see how much of the, uh, you know, really political violence has been, uh, live broadcast, uh, for all to see, but let's talk more about, uh, the political fallout. You just mentioned, uh, Josh Hawley lost a book deal. Um, you know, that's one thing, but what has been the fallout so far uh, for the GOP in just you know the two days since uh, this happened?
1: Well, it, it's mixed, right? I mean, you seem to see people saying we have this is what we've been led to, and we have to stop this, or we're going to destroy the party. Uh, but then at the same time, the Republican National Committee meets and reelects the same chairman and elects a vice chairman who's also allied with Trump. Um, You know, and there's no sign that anybody who was a supporter of Trump that made made it their way to Washington this week is in any way remorseful or relenting from the way they've looked at this. Um, You know, it's only that, you know, some of the members who were frightened for their lives uh, are starting to question whether, you know, at some point, they were going to have to have a pro-Trump moment anyway, uh, and it came very quickly on Wednesday night for some of them. But you know, they also know that you know if you look at the House, one of the reasons why the behavior is different is senators run statewide, House members run in districts. The House members who are there now won in the last election probably by tying themselves to Trump and his supporters many of them in districts where Democrats don't really compete. So their big challenge is, their big danger is losing in a primary. And Trump was as recently as hours before the riot saying, you know, we're going to have to get rid of the people who are, who are weak, who aren't with us, threatening primaries against House uh, House Senate Republicans. So, you know, they're, they're still not, that's not going to go away. I mean, the, the, the question we still don't know is the people who committed violence are not all Trump supporters. I mean, the, the, I'm sorry, let me make that clear. Yeah, All of Trump supporters are not the people who created, committed violence. You know, <laughs> there are just some people there. Um, and the people who are Trump supporters who, who were just turned off by that, how are they going to react? I can't tell you right now. Will they now ignore when the when the Trump organization or President Trump himself say we need to back somebody else, um, you know, or or does that actually become a badge of courage for them that Trump is campaigning against them? It's going to play differently in different districts, and you know that's still going to play out as the next as the cycle goes on.
2: Yeah, I think one of the more fascinating sort of uh, things about the Republican Party right now. Is that uh, we have seen over the last couple of years uh, in polling questions um, uh, directed at Republican voters, uh, they've been asked, do you see yourself as loyal to the Republican Party or do you see yourself loyal to Donald Trump and a majority say Donald Trump? And will that change going forward? Yeah, you know, I think you're right. That is the uh, $64,000 question. But right, and how
1: are they getting their information? You know, like the president has the bully pulpit right now. I mean, Facebook's locked him out. Twitter let him come back on today. Um what'll happen when he's not the president of the United States and he violates the terms of Twitter? I don't know. Um and but you know, we were all anticipating that a post once Trump eventually did not you know, accepted that he wasn't going to be the president for another term. He was going to start running for another term in 2024. Um, You know, I I could tell you right now, it would seem like other Republicans thinking they were going to run in 2024, like Josh Hawley or Texas Senator Ted Cruz, their stock is a little lower this week, but you just mentioned that this week alone feels like a year. Think what it's going to be like in three years. Who knows?
2: yeah uh I think it's really difficult and probably fools uh Aaron to try to project the next four years but besides uh Holly and Cruz uh, facing a setback on their White House ambitions this week, do you think there are any other long term implications for the republican party
1: uh going forward well i mean they're they're gonna have to figure out who they are i mean they they you know the weird thing is uh, you know, people—the people, the people who, were, who were hounding Lindsey Graham—don't wanted to know why they weren't going to audit the vote. But if you listen to the Senate debate and you listen to uh, Senator Mitt Romney, he was like, "It wouldn't matter what an audit said, because they wouldn't believe it." I mean, the votes in Georgia were audited. You know, there there wasn't this—the fraud that the president described did not happen. Um, you know, the and you know so they're going to have to figure out how do we reach a point where people actually trust that an election is final, or have we gone past that point? And this is just now the new normal where everybody just says, well, that was a fraudulent election. I mean, there's going to be a fight over voting. It's going to be a fight. We, we, we had this very weird year where because of the pandemic and, and the fact that you know you, you couldn't have 70 and 80-year-old people working at polling stations with random people coming in off the street, breathing on them. We went to a lot of, you know, vote by mail. And that was cast by the president as some, some kind of threatening thing to the Republican party, even though states like Colorado and, and, and Washington and Oregon, everybody votes by mail. I mean, you can do it safely. You can also do it badly, which some states did because they had to put it together in a couple of months. Uh, but you know now they're going to try. There's going to be an argument over where vote by mail is just a, a, a steal, a way to steal votes, rather than a way to just make it easier. Do you even want to make it easier for people to vote, or you just want it to be you have to show up between 7 a.m. and 8 p.m. on this Tuesday in November, and if you don't have childcare and if you can't get out of work, well then you don't get to vote. I mean, this is a, this is a, a philosophical argument that's going to happen. Layered on top of that is Congress. It's really not their job to decide how states vote, how all elected. That's the state's job.
2: Yeah, I, it probably doesn't speak well to the state of uh, American democracy that we are debating whether or not people should be allowed to vote and whether or not we should accept the results of those votes. But that's where we are. Uh, Herb, thanks for joining us. Sure, anytime. Now let's turn to our senior correspondent, Niels Lesniewski. Niels, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So before we talk about the start of the next administration, we got to look at the death rattles of the current one. What might we see this coming week?
0: Well, we're, we're likely going to see the House uh, moving forward with an, an impeachment uh, once again. And, and that makes it all the more unpredictable in terms of what President Trump uh, will do on his way out the door. He has already said he is not planning uh, to attend the inauguration of uh, President-elect Biden. So we don't actually know where he is going to be. Uh, the the sort of betting odds, if you were going to do this, is that he is probably at some point before Inauguration Day going to depart um, to his... Uh, Mar a Lago residence and move back to Florida, but he could go somewhere else. He could hang around DC. He could have some kind of an event. There has been some talk that he may uh, try and do a little presidential travel before he leaves. So we may not even be done with the rallies yet. Uh, But I don't expect uh, that there's going to be a whole lot of substance coming out of the administration that is on its way out the door.
2: Yeah, he's not going to go quietly into the night, um, but uh, will there be any sort of effort to uh, encourage him to get out the door even faster than the the next two weeks uh, that he has left?
0: The question is whether or not um, the House uh, will move, which it seems like they will. Uh, it doesn't seem like the cabinet or vice president, Mike Pence, is going to And so the question for the Senate is going to be uh, whether there is any uh, chance that they are going to move to come back more quickly than they're supposed to be back on January 19th. You know, I don't know if it's very likely that there is actually an impeachment trial for a president whose term ends on January 20th, uh, starting on January 19th. Now, there is an argument that you can have an impeachment and an impeachment trial uh, for someone who is no longer the president. Uh, The point of doing that would be uh, that you can actually use the same process to disqualify people from future federal employment. Uh, It would be kind of extraordinary, but it could be done uh, to keep Trump from running again in 2024.
2: Yeah, it would be kind of funny though to impeach uh, President Trump over his anti-democratic uh, spreading of you know these lies and fighting the the election results uh, in an effort to prevent him from ever being able to face the voters again. Um, so uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, if anything happens there. But uh, enough about the old guy. Let's talk about the new guy, who's also an old guy, Joe Biden and the incoming administration. He has a lot of things to do. We have, uh, the pandemic is only getting worse right now. We, we had new record, uh, highs for deaths this week. Um, you know, there's, uh, all of this, uh, turmoil on the Hill, uh, and, you know, still various positions to fill. What, what are we going to see Biden, uh, the new incoming administration, uh, do in this coming week, uh, before his inauguration?
0: Well, this this coming week is going to be uh, primarily preparation-wise. They're going to unveil their plan for what they want Congress to do on the economic relief grounds uh, in relation to the pandemic. The president-elect said that's most likely coming up on Thursday, uh, and it could be several trillion dollars. Uh, There will be at least another $1,400 in direct payments, which would bring those $2,000 Trump checks back to the actual $2,000 level. Uh, And there'll be a host of other provisions on that front. But the other thing that they're doing, both President-elect Biden and and the incoming members of the national security team, the incoming members of uh, the people who are going to be nominated for the Cabinet. They're going to be getting their COVID vaccines starting today for the senior staff. Uh, The president-elect gets his second dose on Monday of next week, Uh, and the first doses are going out for a lot of the other senior personnel using the supplies that the White House medical office has uh, so that when January 20th rolls around, uh, most of them will be Really, if you look at the calendar, it's usually about 21 days for that Pfizer vaccine at least. Uh, So it won't be that much longer into the Biden administration that the senior officials who are in continuity of government sort of roles uh, will get their second doses probably within the first week or two of of Biden taking office.
2: Yeah, getting the jabs uh, in will be important for uh, keeping everyone uh, working and will probably hasten the ability for them to you know, meet face-to-face, I imagine. Um, Niels, is there anything else that I should be uh, looking out for? Or, like this past week, will I probably be surprised and horrified But by, uh, by what's about to come?
0: Well, the one thing that we're going to all be looking for, which is sort of aside from the real news, is this array of protesters and people who are involved in the mob attacking the Capitol that the FBI has put out, people who they're actually looking for, uh, they're starting to be found. And and I was uh, distracted myself for a little bit this afternoon uh, reading a report from the New York Post. It turns out that one of the individuals apparently works for the MTA, uh, the New York City and New York Public Transit Agency. Uh, So I expect we'll see a lot more stories like that uh, coming out in the next week as well. And things could get uncomfortable uh, for a lot of people in that regard.
2: Yeah, I saw uh, one guy was already fired because he wore his work badge to the riot, which is probably a bad move. Um, Yeah, But what do I know? Uh, Niels, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. At the start of this crazy week, I was up on the hill to help cover the official start of the 117th Congress. I asked a bunch of lawmakers, how were they feeling about the upcoming electoral vote count on Wednesday? This year is going to be different, they said. How terribly true they were. The dean of North Carolina's delegation, Democratic Representative David Price, has been in Congress for more than three decades. He compared the objectors to lawmakers who signed the Southern Manifesto. That was a segregationist screed written right after the Supreme Court's decision in Brown v. Board of Education.
0: To the day they uh, died, who did and who did not
1: sign the Southern Manifesto was a badge of honor or dishonor with members of this body. And I think this is equally significant.
2: But that badge of dishonor didn't do much. It didn't stop any of the senators who signed from losing re-election. It didn't stop them, when they died, from being eulogized by presidents. And it didn't stop the Senate from renaming an office building after one of them. And today, Richard Russell's name is still on that building. And that does it for this week of The Transition. I'm Jim Saxon. For all of us at CQ Roll Call, thanks for listening.